Before we get started with today's show, I'm here to tell you about Brez Coffee Company, made by gamers for gamers right here on the Gulf Coast in Pensacola, Florida. Do you like lighter medium roast? Then try the Necro Medium, Holy Grail Light, or Stamina Boost. Or if you're like me and prefer darker roast, try the Critical Dark or the Coup Slayer Mocha Roast. But what if you can't pick just one? Then try one of their specialty sample packs, perfect for an all-night gaming or in the case of my fellow filmmakers, an all-night editing session. Forget about all the crappy coffee you've been buying at the grocery store and head on over to brezcoffeeco.com. Use the promo code DDE at checkout to get 10% off your order. Have you ever thought to yourself after listening to this podcast, why didn't Derek ask this question? Or why didn't he ask that question? I know I certainly have. Well, you get the chance to do that if you sign up for my Patreon at patreon.com slash ddiamondpodcast. You get the chance to ask guests of the show a question. If you're a fan of the top five list, you get the chance to vote on what the topic will be. You also get early access to episodes, accessibility to my film scripts, and so much more. And you can do so by heading over to patreon.com slash ddiamondpodcast. And we want to thank our patrons, Tim Spivey and Shannon Williams. Thanks so much for your continued contributions. And now, on with the show. Welcome to the Derek Diamond Experience Podcast, where every week I take a look inside the world of film and television with those who have lived it and experienced it. I am your host, Derek Diamond, and coming up on today's show, you'll be hearing my conversation with actor, writer, director, Patrick Kilpatrick. And it was great having Patrick back on the show because he was actually one of the first guests that I had on the show when I switched the format to focus on discussing film and TV. And loved chatting with him, hearing about his memorable roles and uh, you know playing a villain uh, throughout his career and really kind of getting into the psyche of that. So I was very surprised when he uh, his rep reached out and said, hey, he enjoyed chatting with you. He'd love to come back on your show to talk about some other projects that he has coming up, including running for governor of California, which I think is is pretty exciting. So you'll be hearing all about that a little bit later on in the show. But first is the return of one of my favorite things about this show, the top five list. And the Patreons picked a great one for this month, top five movie twists. And I'm a little surprised that this hasn't come up sooner um, I guess it's just one that, you know, when I was coming up with the poll, I was like, okay, what would be a fun thing to discuss? Oh, I haven't done movie twist yet. So thankfully that, that one, um, and I loved reading everybody's responses because as you all know, movie twists can be a very good thing or a very bad thing. Very good in the sense that it can just shock you. And I've, I've been in movie theaters where twists happen and you can just feel the energy from the audience. You hear the <gasps> happen from the audience. So it's they're awesome in some ways. Now, where they're bad is when they completely ruin a story or they're just really stupid. Um, the one that I think of is the, the trees trying to kill everyone in The Happening. Um, but we, we won't dive into that. We're, we're talking about good ones today, not not bad ones. But uh, the way this works, if you haven't listened to a top five list on the show before, is I go through my five through one 
and give an explanation why. And then I read the others that are submitted to me through uh, social media. So I post a thread on Facebook once a month. And if you want to submit your top five list, then you just leave it in the comments below and I'll read them on the show. So that's pretty simple how it works. So we'll just, uh, we'll dive right in. Um, I got two honorable mentions here. Uh, the first one being from the classic Planet of the Apes. Uh, George Taylor was on Earth the whole time. You know, when Charlton Heston's character is walking on the beach and he sees the remnants of the Statue of Liberty. I Obviously, that movie was made way before I was on this Earth, but I have gone back and watched it since then. Um, definitely appreciate its place in movie history. And it's one of those that when you mention movie twist to me, it's one of the first two or three that come to mind. Uh, my other honorable mention is from The Prestige when Christian Bale turns out he has a twin and Hugh Jackman has cloned himself and he used them in his acts. Uh, that was one that I honestly was not expecting. The cloning thing makes sense, but it still wasn't anything I was expecting. I didn't see this movie in theaters, unfortunately. I saw it on on DVD when it came out. Uh, it was, you all know I'm a big fan of Hugh Jackman. I like Christian Bale as well. So that was one that, you know, it was a no-brainer that I was going to watch it. But I thought the twist was pretty cool. My number five is from Spider-Man Homecoming when it turns out that um, Adrian Toomes is the father of the girl that Peter Parker is wanting to take, um, I believe it was to prom or out on a date. I want to say it was prom. But whenever Peter shows up at the house and Michael Keaton's character, Adrian Toomes, a.k.a. the Vulture, answers the door, you can just hear the oh from the the audience. Because I saw it on opening night, and I was one that, that did that too. I was like, oh, that's so good. It was such a good twist, and the, the dialogue with the two of them in the car is just awesome. It was really, really cool twist. Uh, number four, Teddy Daniels is a mental patient from Shutter Island. That would be Leonardo DiCaprio's character, where it turns out that he was just a mental patient at this institution the whole time. Um, one that I was not expecting at all, but I, I thought was a, a cool twist on the story. Number three, this is one that a lot of people go to when they think of movie twist, and that being uh, Verbal Kent is Kaiser Soze from The Usual Suspects, and when I think of this movie, I think of that quote, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was let it, making the world think he didn't exist or something along the lines of that. I'm paraphrasing a little bit. But when he's walking out of the uh, police station and they realize, oh no, we just let him go, was 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 cool. I, and it's, it's a very good movie. If you haven't watched The Usual Suspects, I, I would highly recommend it. Number two, this is... One of two, fitting enough, that I think of when I think of movie twist, and that being Dr. Malcolm Crow is dead from The Sixth Sense, that being Bruce Willis's character. I remember this movie being pretty pretty popular when it came out, and I again, I didn't see it in theaters. I saw it on DVD when it was released, but I, I knew I knew nothing about the movie. Other than, you know, there was like this this little kid who says, you know, you know the, the line, I see dead people. 
So the, the plot was intriguing. And I remember watching that movie with my parents and my dad called the twist from the beginning. And sure enough, he was right when it was revealed that he was actually killed at the beginning of the movie. And it, it, it gives a whole new meaning to the movie. Whenever you go back and watch it a second time, knowing the twist, you see the little seeds that are planted and you notice little things, little nuances that show you that that's the case. So that, that's another cool thing about twist too, is you can go back and watch a movie a second time and it's, it gives you a whole new perspective. But my number one has to be uh, Darth Vader revealed to be Luke Skywalker's father from The Empire Strikes Back. The ultimate movie twist. You know, it's one that no one saw coming. And I wish that if time travel existed, I could go back in time, go to a theater opening night of Empire Strikes Back and just, uh, yeah, watch the audience's reaction. And it would be like knowing, you know, like they don't know what they're about to see. It's why I say I'd love to go back and watch the original Star Wars when it came out because those who are watching it don't know that they're watching the movie industry change. And that to me, that was the impact that that twist had was that it took it in a direction that no one saw coming. No one expected that to happen. And even the, the story behind the scenes of there being very few people who actually knew. You know, David Prowse, who was in the Vader suit, he didn't know. In the script, it said, Obi-Wan killed your father. But the only ones who I think knew were George Lucas, Mark Hamill, and James Earl Jones. Maybe there were one or two others that knew, but it was a very, very select few who actually knew. And... It's still, to me, the greatest movie twist that's ever been done. So that's my list. Uh, we'll go through uh, the others very quickly here. Uh, from Jonathan McIntosh, number five, The Prestige, a twin reveal and multiple clones run rampant in the world of magic. That's a great tagline. I like that. Number four, American Psycho. Did Patrick Bateman actually kill all those people? Number three, The Others, where Nicole Kidman and her kids are the actual ghosts haunting the house they live in. Number two, Bruce Willis was dead the whole time in Sixth Sense. And number one, Star Wars Empire Strikes Back, Vader is revealed to be Luke's father. Almost forgot, honorable mention goes to Angela Baker's reveal at the end of Sleepaway Camp. Number five, my Nerd Cave Retro co-host, Jason Robbins. Number five, Bruce Willis was dead the whole time. Number four, the reveal of Kaiser Soze, The Usual Suspects. Number three, Ed Norton was Tyler Durden the whole time in Fight Club. That's a good one, too. Uh, number two, John Cusack realizing he's one, only one of many multiple personalities from Identity. And number one, from The Empire Strikes Back. And one of the most misquoted lines, the line is actually, No, I am your father. Uh, Jacob Craig, number five, Split, taking place in the Unbreakable Universe. I love that twist. Number four, Interstellar, Matthew McConaughey was the ghost. Three, from Dusk Till Dawn, and he asked, vampires? Really? Number two, Fight Club, Edward Norton did it. And number one, Primal Fear, Edward Norton did it again. Brandon Rutledge, honorable mentions, Planet of the Apes, they were on Earth the whole time. Uh, the Seven twist, what's in the box? 
Fight Club, the narrator, and Tyler Durden are the same person. This was a good one, too. Orphan, uh, Esther is actually a 33-year-old woman and not a child. Frozen, Prince Hans is the villain. Memento, Leonard accidentally killed his wife, not murdered by Teddy or anyone else Leonard killed. That was another good one, too. Zootopia, Assistant Mayor Meriwether is the true villain. Incredibles 2, Evelyn Dever is the real screen slaver. And finally, Meet the Robinsons, the bowler hat guy is Goob. In his top five, The Sixth Sense, Malcolm was dead the whole time. Four, Saw, the dead body is alive and is the real Jigsaw. Three, Wreck-It Ralph, King Candy is Turbo. That was a good one, too. Number two, Coco, Ernesto murdered Hector, and Hector is Miguel's actual great-great-grandfather. And number one, Star Wars Episode V, The Empire Strikes Back, Darth Vader is Luke Skywalker's father. Tim Spivey, uh, his, his top eight. Number eight, Shutter Island, Teddy Daniels is actually Andrew Latis. Number seven, Secret Window, Mort is Shooter. He is responsible for all strange things that have been happening. Six, Memento. Leonard's wife survived the home invasion that he was trying to solve. Then he later accidentally kills her. Number five, Fight Club. The narrator and Tyler Durden are the same person. Number four, seven, What's in the Box. John Doe challenges Mills to murder him, making Wrath the seventh and final sin. Three, The Usual Suspects. Who is Kaiser Soze? Police realize who he is after they let Kent go. Two, Gone Girl. Amy made it look like Nick killed her returned home and became pregnant so he would stay. That That's still crazy because that's, that's something that would actually happen in real life. And number one, identity. The murderer is the little boy. All strangers in movie are manifestations of someone who suffers from dissociative identity disorder. A lot of good suggestions and lists this month. I This is honestly why I love the top five, is just reading everyone's list and seeing how they differ from mine. And they even make me think, you know, should should this be in my top five? Because the, the four and five spots are always the toughest, because that's where you got to make the tough decisions. You know, one and two are, are usually really easy, but uh, yeah. That's going to do it for the top five this month. Top five movie twists. Great suggestion. Great list. Love coming up with this one. I'll be posting another poll over on Patreon on August 1st for next month's top five. And I'll also be posting a list for the August watch along. So if you haven't signed up for Patreon, you can sign up for as little as $2 a month and get early access to episodes as well as the monthly watch along shows that I do. If you want to be able to vote on show topics, that's uh, $3 a month. So uh, if you can't contribute, I totally understand. I know times have been tough due to COVID. Things are still tough, especially with COVID kicking back up. But if you could just uh, spread the word over on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at D Diamond Podcast. But now we're going to turn it over to my conversation with actor Patrick Kilpatrick. As I mentioned, loved having him back on the show. Uh, always an insightful conversation with him. Hope to have him back on again soon. But here is my conversation with Patrick Kilpatrick. Welcome back to the Derek Diamond Experience Podcast. And it's my pleasure to welcome back to the show, actor Patrick Kilpatrick. Patrick, how are you, sir? I'm very well. Thanks, Derek. Absolutely. It's, it's 
It's crazy because I think it was around early 2019 when you last appeared on my show. And it was right after I had switched the format of the show to focus solely on film and TV. And I remember you being one of the first guests that I booked uh, around that time. And I, I wanted to start off by asking you, and I feel like you've probably been asked this question numerous times over the last year plus, how did the COVID-19 pandemic uh, affect your career? Well, um, let me say this without, while being acutely aware that it was devastating for a lot of people and a lot of businesses. For me, it turned out, I think there's a positive in almost anything. And for me, it turned out to be a, a truly electric time. Um, right at the beginning of COVID, um, we got hired, my uh, film company got hired to do, uh, to write and produce a, a big Asian themed thriller. And I immediately knew that I could talk about in this project, everything that was going on with China and America and uh, the A Asian uh, region of the world at that particular time. And so I was really enthralled with that and also what could we do at that time? I was with my wife, of course, and I love spending time with her. And she's very um, enthralled and, and involved in everything that we do here at the film company and everything involved with my life uh, and vice versa. So um, it was a, for us, it was a romantic, prolific time, albeit very surreal because we were watching Venice, uh, beach turn into, at the time she had her place there and she was moving over in my direction um, and she was tying up some loose ends over there. So we split the time between Venice and, and where I currently live and, and work. And she, uh, so I, and the long and short of it was, we were able to elevate all of our projects, focus on writing, focus on Zoom communication with people, uh, the world over. I started a, a free acting class just to help out at the beginning. And it turned out to be like the 21st century version of a free audit uh, class, uh, which is a kind of a traditional uh, method of doing things in acting classes. I started this free entertainment class just to help out so that people could be enthralled while they were at home. And it turned out to be a, um, a, a real solid moneymaker and networking thing. So I started getting a lot of clients that had to do with the film and media business. How do you implement Hollywood? How do you implement global Hollywood into my business? Um, <clears throat> So it was a fantastic time. We elevated every project we had. I have a great team of graphic artists and researchers. Uh, and uh, with my funds and the funds that came in from that project for scripting it and producing it, I was able to elevate everything we were doing. So it was an amazing time. Um, crazy time. You know, you, you go from scrubbing every egg that's coming into the house to uh, watching hospitals flooded and, uh, with patients and things like that. It was a crazy time. But I think most people who have the right attitude 
hunker down and realize that the universe is giving them a gift, even if it does seem like a great tragedy and a calamity uh, ongoing. I don't believe in negative events. I believe in the reaction we have to negative events, um, quote unquote negative events. Now, if you lost a loved one, that's a tragic thing. Um, and uh, if you lost a business, that's a tragic thing. And it's something that I, uh, one of the reasons I'm running for governor right now in California is to, um, uh, to help in that transition to an economy which is, can sustain us as we go forward on a lot of things, uh, both bring back film production to the state, um, to get California to be the center for eco-sensitive technologies that it should be, uh, that it should be the representative place combating climate change, that it should be, we need to bring businesses back to California instead of setting up circumstances where they have to flee to other states. So that's a long answer. It was a glorious time because I, I'm the kind of person who looks at negative circumstances and figures out where's the silver lining here. No, and I don't disagree with anything you're saying. And funny enough, and on a personal side of, you know, I've said this on the show in the past, but it's all about how you react to things. Like I heard this saying a long time ago, life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you react to it. So you can take whatever circumstance you're in and try and make it the best you can. You know, for me, my normal day job, I work for a minor league baseball team we have here in town. Now our season was completely shut down due to COVID. So we didn't have games. So we started hosting, you know, events to try and make some type of money through doing that. I reconnected with a girl I knew in high school. We started dating and now we're engaged. There you so, go. So it's, it's crazy how, you know, sometimes the worst of circumstances, can actually ultimately work out. And I, I did want to ask you about um, your company, Uncommon Dialogue Films. Uh, what inspired you to create it and how did you ultimately get it off the ground? <laughs> By working harder than anybody else, I think, sometimes. <laughs> um, you know, I've always been a writer. I was a writer before I was an actor. And... Uh, in fact, the trajectory for me was journalist, advertising writer, playwright, assistant director, director, actor, action actor, uh, and I professional screenwriter from about 1987. And then around 2005, I formed Uncommon Dialogue Films. Uh, I went around the world uh, doing film financing and film developing all the time acting in between, but acting, you know, it goes like this. And I don't care how busy you are. And I've had some immensely busy times as an actor. And, and but it was never enough. I was always energetic. Uh, uh, and I could see that those actors who actually created their own content were the ones who are gonna survive and thrive, no matter what level you were, in on the business. So, um, I mean, I, I'm sure you've heard this, but I joke around and call it curse of a liberal arts education, which I am a big exponent of liberal arts education. Um, 
you know, you don't just learn one specific thing. You want a broadly based education, languages, physicality, phys ed. Uh, now, it's perfectly okay to be a niche person, but that was never really the most exciting thing for me. So I, uh, it's always been writing and acting and performing. Even when I was a journalist, what are you doing? You're writing copy, you're getting standing up in front of the camera, you're, you're doing it. You're doing it even today. You're, it's a combination of writing. When I teach actors and entertainment professionals, it's always about writing, acting, directing, and producing. It's a multidiscipline thing. Um, woe be to the actor who just sits around waiting for... Now, there are some guys who that's all they do. And uh, I'm in awe of them, and they're in awe of me. <laughs> so I'm thinking of Michael Rooker. You know, Michael Rooker has had a wonderful career since it was resurrected in uh, with The Walking Dead and then Guardians of the Galaxy. And I've worked with Michael maybe four or five times. And uh, he says, Patrick, you know, I just, um, if acting goes down, I don't have anything that I know what to do with myself. Um, so that's just not me. No, I mean, that's the cool thing about film is that there's so many different things that you can do. And you touched on it. You can, in addition to acting, you can write, you can also direct. And that's the beauty of it is that all they all work together. You know, I, I often say that filmmaking is a film is like a machine and it takes all types of cogs to run the machine from the director all the way down to the PA. Yeah, and it's crazy. It's, and it's, it's the fact that you can learn so much. You know, I've worked PA on sets. I directed a short film a couple of years ago. I've helped out with the DP and it's all fun. And, you know, I'm, I'm like you in the sense that I want to try all of it. Now, some I think some jobs I think I'm better at than others and other people might think that, too. But you don't really know unless you try it. Well, I do craft services here at Uncommon Dialogue Films all the time. So, um, very important job, by the way. Yeah, I, I, I'm always cooking for employees and stuff here, and uh, partly because that pulls my head out of the computer and the writing, and it's a, it's a, a, a meditation that I really enjoy. So, yeah, I mean, I think as wouldn't it be nice as Americans if we all rolled up our sleeves and, and did whatever we were doing with the best of our abilities. And, um, and that doesn't mean to limit your aspirations. It doesn't at all. You always keep your eye on your dreams and your aspirations. But, you know, I take out the garbage here. And, uh, and that's what it takes to make a company. Um, that's what it takes. You said it so insightfully. That's what it takes to do a film. I mean, the, the number of art forms involved in film and television or television journalism or UFC media or whatever, it's nuts. There are so many places. And that's why for our state to have driven so much of the work out of the state uh, for a combination of reasons, not all that have to do with mismanagement and things, but also because of the high cost of housing, taxes, uh, 
the high cost of union labor. And I'm a union person myself with the Screen Actors Guild. Um, but they have union people in Vancouver and yet they collaborate and they get it done. You know, and, it's, and that's why we gave $33 billion of business to Canada when we could have kept that here in California. Um, as a producer, I'm gonna go wherever the dramatics serve themselves and whether, wherever the financial package works. As a leader of, of California, um, then I have to balance that with, we're not, we're not delivering the goods as a state uh, to filmmakers. In fact, the program that I've expounded goes, covers not just film, but photographic uh, exercises, uh, video games, um, a lot of artistic stuff as well. So if you're doing that and you get vetted, then you get a competitive advantage to do it in this state as opposed to another state. Um, I go to studios and they say, Patrick, do whatever you want, but you can't film it in California. That's kind of odd, um, unless you wanna go gorilla. And if you want to go really guerrilla street film, and there's a place for that too, but you get to a certain level and you can't really function that way on particular projects. So I, uh, congratulations on your show. Oh, thank you. And your engagement. Yeah, thank you. No, it, it's been, I will say as someone who, you know, aspires to do film, the show has become like, the ultimate outlet for me because I get to pick your brain. I get to pick other, you know, directors, actors, producers, brains. And you brought up a great point. And I was actually talking about this on my show last week. You see, I, I've talked with so many filmmakers who are based in California, but they always go to other states. You know, you look at what's going on in Atlanta, what's going on in New Orleans. And I've talked New with Mexico. filmmakers who sure. go to New Mexico, um, Arizona, to Memphis, you know, in Tennessee. And I, I, I keep thinking, why, why are there not more things based out in California? Because well, it, it, may, it makes sense for them to be, but I know there's, you know, other reasons that, that you touched on. It's why that ultimately can't happen. But to me, it just makes too much sense to not film in California. The big, biggest thing is there's a lack of a competitive incentive program. And that doesn't take rocket science to set up. Um, it has to be well run, because if it's not well run, then uh, it can descend like Michigan had a program and everybody was excited about it, but it wasn't well run. But we know that film and television bring dollars and cents into any environment. Now, I'm a lead actor, so I always was taken to those other environments, whether it's Georgia or New Mexico or Canada or Australia. Um, so it, it's not about me because I loved going to those places. But if you're a grip or if you're a, a, a set uh, dresser, all of the uh, good jobs that actually help to make a film happen, you have to move to those other places in order to have a life, unless you're solid, solidly involved in the type of work that they're doing here, which is uh, the television, some of the television shows and things like that. It's a studio level. So that doesn't need to be. We can be competitive simply by putting a 25% rebate 
on, on top of jobs. We could be competitive by um, making the permitting process swifter and, and, and less arduous. They made a decision somewhere along the line, I think, that they, they had it knocked because this is where Hollywood was. And so they didn't have to compete on that level. And that's, that's not true. Um, filmmakers, that process of artistry and assembling all of that is so arduous that obviously you're gonna go to places. Uh, right now I'm involved with film development in places like uh, Africa and in, in places like Spain. Um, and Italy and, and Greece um, and developing those pro projects and, and doing it in Fiji and things like that. That same kind of competitiveness uh, and welcomingness for businesses in general, as well as the film business, uh, has to be instituted here in the state of California. Because in my opinion, we have a lot of things that are falling off of the cliff here. And it's a great place for me to live, and I benefit greatly, but the people of California aren't uh, having the goods delivered to them, I don't think, by the governments that, that exist. And it has nothing to do with republicanism or democratic. It's a nonpartisan thing. People coming out of what we've come out of, people want somebody who's authentic and who actually gets things done. And that's what we need. And stop talking the talk and let's walk the walk and start delivering things for the 21st century. Um, uh, it's challenging, but so is filmmaking. So is being an actor. So is being an assistant director. So is being a podcast host. Podcast host. So is being a man or a woman in modern society. We all have to do it and we need to do it with some joy. And there's no reason why we can't. No, I, I completely agree. Another thing I was thinking about, and you mentioning, you know, working with, you know, Greece and Africa, I imagine that for them hosting a film or you like using a business, say in Africa or Greece would be a big deal. Cause you're like, Oh, cool. You're, you know, we're going to film a movie here. Like that just sounds like the coolest thing ever. In, there is great power in Hollywood, uh, outside of Hollywood. There's also, um, every place is individual. There's some places have no institutional incentives. Some places you have to make every single deal separately. Some places have a welcoming security environment. Some places have civil strife. Some places have an image problem. Some places have institutional corruption, uh, all of which is part and parcel of, you gotta accentuate the positive and figure out a way to make it work. Uh, and in the end, it becomes a cost benefit analysis dramatically and uh, economically. Um, this is gonna cost me X amount of dollars to ferry everybody over there and I'm gonna have to bring department heads from someplace else, or can I get department heads from the local population? There's a lot of factors that goes into that. And every situation is individual. I've spent years doing it and it's constantly evolving. Um, you know, as people, political environments shift and stuff like that. We once had $165 million coming into Fiji and then they had a coup 
And I, I knew fundamentally that the day-to-day life wasn't going to change. Right. But investors don't like to see coups. I you can know. imagine so. That, that's, so. That's crazy, though. I, I, did, I didn't get upset about it. I just, uh, but the University of the Pacific head, because we aligned ourselves with the, insti- the institution of the University of Pacific, and uh, he was so dispirited by it that he f- left. He resigned from the university. So wow. you're looking for a stable environment. Um, not necessarily me. I, I like to kind of look at what's the tumult and how can we use it? <laughs> now, oh, you got warring tribes in Africa? Great. We'll figure out how to put that right into the film. But not everybody thinks like that. Right. You know? And not, not everybody wants to go into that kind of environment. So um, I feel like destiny, and it's not an arrogance, it's like doing your own stunts, okay? You pad up and you use all your calculation and then you fling yourself into the abyss. And that's kind of what you have to do. And uh, you either live that way or you don't. Um, I always try to, you always want to pad up everywhere because if you are going to get nailed, you're going to get nailed in the one spot you didn't put a pad. So um, I've got a Western that I'm slated to do in August, which I find really intriguing to do right in the middle of a governor's campaign. And uh, they said, uh, have you ever fought on the top of a moving train? And I said, well, do we have safety lines? And he said, oh yeah, yeah, no problem. I said, cool. Then, um, and that should be exciting. Yeah, no, for sure. And it's always good to do something new too. And something I wanted to touch on real quick is that. You sound so insightful, Derek. You get it. You get it. It's always good to do something new. The only time I really got bored doing uh, my own stunts was when it was 15 years of just fights. Yeah. You know, know, then what you have to do is come up with something new to make the fight uh, electric. So uh, exactly. No, and, and whatever career you're in, you should always be looking at ways to not become complacent because when you get complacent, then you get angry, you get bitter, you hate your job, you hate what you do. So always look for ways to, even if it's something small, you know, like even if you add like a small new tweak to what you do, it's like with, with this podcast, when I decided to change it from a variety show to talking about film and TV. And I've enjoyed it immensely more ever since then. And plus the fact that there are so many different avenues in you the world. You don't feel that old impulse to just suddenly start spinning plates uh, on the variety show? No, no, not not quite that much. I'm not nearly coordinated enough to do that. But uh, anyway, so it, one it's, of the big acts on the uh, Ed Sullivan show. A while yeah. Back. Yeah. You, you, you bring up a wonderful point about life. It's like, as an actor, you go, am I using tricks that worked before? And is that not being authentic? Are you using the Patrick Kilpatrick grin just to get the effect for playing the villain? You don't want to do that. You want to come up with new stuff. And... uh, Uh, I mean, think how challenging it is for great musical artists that they want to hear the hits all the time. 
and they want to give them something new that they've just created. So that becomes the task becomes how do you blend the best of what you've done with that, which is, I mean, I've sometimes repeated lines in movies like in Jean-Claude Van Damme movies, just because it was a kind of homage, homage to the people who saw Death Warrant uh, 30 years ago or whenever it was, 25 years ago. So um, it's a good idea to have fun some way, one way or the other at some challenge, challenging time, because we're all working really, really hard. So uh, everybody's got a challenging life. So you don't want to give up the joy. No, 100 uh, percent. There is one film. I was looking at your IMDb page and there was a film that jumped out at me that I wanted to ask you about. And that is Active Shooter, because you acted in it. You also directed it and you wrote it. How did you how are you able to balance everything you did behind the scenes while performing in front of the camera? Uh, very badly. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, Active Shooter has never come out uh, because it's sitting in my editing room over there. I'm so adamant that everything that comes out of Uncommon Dialogue Films is of the highest standard that slowly by slowly, I've had editor colleagues in uh, pulling little bits and bobs from the active shooter footage. And we had like 500 hours of footage um, and only releasing it as it fits in with that mandate of being demonstrative of a, a brilliant film company an image company and text company. Um, we have pretty high standards at this juncture and uh, want to compete and are competing in the highest level <clears throat> with material. So um, you bring up several good points. One is when you are doing your own producing and you're acting, you better have a solid team behind you when you're directing. The writing you can finish while you're there, although you're going to be coming up with stuff. But I mean, I have a second unit director. We're getting ready to do a film that we have verbal commitment for, for the financing. They still have to go through the paperwork and you know, that's a fraught thing. But my second unit director is a director himself. So when I'm acting, he's literally will be directing those sequences along with me. Now, it's not like I'm going to abdicate my responsibility. I'll be watching the monitor as well and, because you're ultimately in charge. But you want to be surrounded by people who really, really know what they're doing. And uh, everybody has a place and everybody has a purpose. And we're all God's children and creations of the universe. So... It'll work out, but I, I'm a big believer in start with brilliant material. Active Shooter, I had gotten lulled into this place. You know, in this business, not much happens right around Christmas time, generally. Well, I got an offer on December 28th to go to Ohio 
Youngstown, Ohio, and shoot a zombie film with no script in four and a half days. I mean, not even a, a paragraph uh, uh, synopsis. So I've got friends in Pennsylvania right across the border where I had taught some seminars at the Edinburgh University. And I said, nothing else is happening. I want to see how we can shoot a movie in four and a half days with no script. So I went out there and uh, in fact, we did. And it ended up getting distribution and it wasn't half bad. Uh, it wasn't Saving Private Ryan, but that got me to thinking, maybe I can shoot a movie fully without a script. Um, that's probably not something I would do ever again. Um, we went out and we just shot improvisationally all over the country. And I used a lot of my resources as an actor and they're considerable. Uh, and um, we put together some really cool stuff uh, we didn't vet our videographers and cinematographers as much as I would now, but we ended up getting the deal on most things. But I have yet to put it together in something that is really reflective of where my artistic sensibility is now. So uh, there's still a lot of mining to do in the Uncommon Dialogue Films editing machine. Um, what it did teach me, though, is you can create miracles on a low budget. And, and as you say, the power of Hollywood beyond Hollywood itself is pretty considerable. Uh, you want to make sure that that's a sacred thing, that you take care of people in local environments when you go out and shoot it. Um, God, we had so much fun. I mean, I could do a movie called Nine Days in Pennsylvania that would be, but I'd want to write the script. You know, we've been so busy with hired projects and funded projects that I haven't done. Although we're, right now we're uh, revamping a script that I wrote some time ago for a client that uh, I'm really excited about. It's going to be kick-ass. So... But it also kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier or what we were talking about earlier with, you know, trying new things. You don't know what's going to work for you or what's not going to work unless you try it. So props to you for, for doing that. I, I, when I saw that you acted, directed and wrote, you know, I was like, how, how in the world can you balance all of that? That's crazy. Well, you know, if you've been doing it as long as I have and you actually hadn't learned how to, I mean, when I was a journalist, we would write on the hood of a car while it was speeding to an event. You know, um, uh, the truth is you get faster and more facile and better at things as you go along. The first script I wrote in between acting jobs took me about two years. Now we put a major script together in six weeks. Uh, I mean, a major script, uh, and uh, and each one is different. I and mean, we're just in between acting jobs and running the film company. Uh, we just spent a year on research uh, and delivering the script, and then uh, a, a major portion of the producing. So uh, I, I'm a big believer in if you do every single thing you do, 
and you make it as fine and as great as you can. And we have a process here where multiple eyes go on something before, whether it's an email, whether it's a, a book, my book, whether it's, uh, there's a team, there's a team. It doesn't uh, remove me from responsibility for the overall thing, but I would not go out without conferring with those people that I trust and I know. You have to have a brain trust to do almost anything, I think, except that which you don't have to have a brain trust for. So there are no rules, you know? Uh, for sure. I, for um, sure. we were laughing today because we were saying, uh, I put my trousers on just like everybody else, but sometimes I put two legs through one leg. <laughs> so, um, you know, a great football team, a great baseball team, somebody's going to go down and the other people are going to pick it up. And then that person who went down is going to pick it up for the other person who's had an injury or whatever. I wish we'd start to, far, to uh, function that way as Americans. No, I as agree. citizens, as human beings of the world. We got to start taking care of each other on some fundamental, and you can do that without losing your own aspirations. In fact, you'll probably find your own aspirations accelerated by doing that. No, I, I, I've been a proponent that you can help yourself by helping others, but a lot of people don't look at it that way. Uh, it's a delicate balance and everybody has to find it for themselves. Yep. You know, um, I, I charge consultancy fees. There's an impulse of me who wants to help out everybody that I talk to, but you have only so much bandwidth in a day and you have to, uh, I'm talking about mentorship or helping consulting that takes considerable time. Somebody asked me a quick question, sure. But mostly we have to serve the people who are, there's something to be said for people who are participating emotionally and financially that they value what you're doing with them to a greater extent. Whereas if you just give it away, then I don't have the answers. I'm just grateful we're doing really, really well. And we do everything as well as we possibly can. Um, and it's working. So, yeah, no, that's great. Well, as we start to wrap up here, you mentioned your book earlier, which I know you had talked about last time you were on the show, but you actually have your... Great Moments in yep. Self-Promotion. This is volume one. Volume two, I was polishing quite happily, and then uh, all these film jobs came in, writing and producing jobs with COVID. So I'd begun polishing it again, but I also realized I was writing... Uh, at least two books with the second one. <clears throat> it was a show business book, but it was also about our, our lives uh, in COVID and post. So um, now we've got the governorship run uh, chapter. So um, we'll get it out. I hope to get it out pretty quickly. No, I'll be excited to check it out for sure. 
But uh, I always like to end the interviews uh, with this. What is one piece of advice that you could give to an aspiring filmmaker? Well, there's, um, I would always say commune with the masters. And that doesn't cost you anything. Find out who the master filmmakers are and spend time with them. It's the same thing with writers. Spend time with the greats, you know, Hemingway, Fitzgerald, uh, Moliere, um, Thomas Wolfe, Hunter Thompson, Ken Kesey. Um, I'm, I'm naming a lot of English language writers. There's plenty from other cultures and other languages. Uh, filmmakers, obviously, they start with Lumiere and 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 go all the way through John Ford and Spielberg and uh, Antoine Fuqua. And how are other people doing things? Um, and then take the artistic flag a little further. Um, there are a lot of people who I don't really understand why they spend their lives doing what they do. Because life is so short, why would you want to spend your time doing something mediocre? To me, that seems like it's a little strange. But maybe we need mediocre to measure excellence by, too. Maybe we need uh, the dregs in order to know what's truly noble and truly uh, exceptional. Uh, I would like to spend my time, both professionally and um, <clears throat> as a teacher, as a director, a producer, a writer, I always want to spend my time with the, 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 the leading people of my age. It doesn't mean that everybody can tell you, you know, sometimes I, I always run lines aloud when I go to a job and everybody's got something of value. And so I, I find somebody at sets and at meetings that I can run the lines right up to the door of my performance, or I'm running lines with a, a PA person or a, a script supervisor just before the camera goes, or at minimum, I'm running it through my own head. So one day I was going over to Warner Brothers for a job and I, there was the only guy, I couldn't find anybody to run lines with. And there was a guy with a jackhammer and a hard hat. And I paid him five bucks to run lines with me. And I did the scene for him and he went, man, that's bullshit. <laughs> and he was right. And so this is what I'm saying. Maybe the greatest lesson for anybody is, is to keep listening. Keep listening to people. That's a death knell if you stop listening. Yep. Except when you stop listening. <laughs> yeah, that's um, the first, the most important lesson that I've learned as a podcaster is yeah. to be a good listener. And that goes with acting, too. That I'm goes sure with really you, most things in life. you have to be listening to people go on and on and on. No, um, I, I love this stuff. No, I love this stuff. Well, I love being with you, and I hope to be with you again after volume two comes out. I've got a movie coming out called Catalyst. And there's one out now called Nightwalk, which was the first Moroccan film to come to America. And um, 
And uh, of course, we're running for the governorship and the election is September 14th. It's a very fast and furious campaign. And uh, I look forward to everybody out there who's a registered California voter to voting for someone and to participate because I'm a big believer in uh, our expression and our evolutionary con conversation here in America and throughout the world. So thanks a lot there. No, absolutely. Your name, Diamond. I just saw Derek the Diamond Poirier. I watched the McGregor fight because uh, yeah. my wife had recorded it. So uh, that's a great last name. I appreciate it. And funny enough, people think that it's a stage name, but it's it's my legitimate like real name. And, and it, 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 they think Patrick Kilpatrick is a stage name too, but that's what my parents called me from day one, even though I was born Robert Kilpatrick. Right. So, in fact, we were trying to correct that on Wiki, that it says <laughs> it's a stage name, but they blocked the IP address, so we can't alter anything on it. So uh, we'll have to get into that at some juncture. But. Yeah, somehow I have to hack Wikipedia and make that happen. I don't know. I'll tell you about the time that I used Wikipedia to to cause somebody who was being really bad some discomfort. And so that may be the reason our, our site is is being watched. I and got monitored. you. I'll talk to you soon. Much love. Yeah, absolutely. Patrick, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me. Thank you, man. I'll see you in the days ahead. Cheers. Thanks again to Patrick Kilpatrick for that awesome conversation. Be sure to follow him on social media to find out what he'll be up to next. And also thank you to those who sent in your top five list for top five movie twist. Be sure to check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash Podcast for the next poll for August's top five list. Should be a fun one. I've, as I mentioned before, I love the top five list. I can't wait to see what you guys pick next. For next week's show, I'm going to be talking about the Loki series that dropped a couple of months ago on Disney+. Plus. I've really enjoyed the Marvel shows. Uh, for those who are longtime listeners of the show, you know I'm a huge Marvel fan. So I was excited for all the shows coming out, WandaVision, Falcon and Winter Soldier, and now Loki. Loki has completed, so I'm going to give a full review of it and some concerns that I have going forward with Marvel's new direction for the MCU. So be sure to come back next week for that really fun discussion. But until then, you can check out past episodes of the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcasts. Just search for The Derek Diamond Experience. If you want to follow me on social media, I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Podcast. And of course, thank you to my close friends, the Unicorn Wranglers, for providing the theme music for the podcast. Be sure to check out their new album, Call for a Good Time, on all streaming platforms, and be sure to follow them on social media. That's going to do it for this week's show, so enjoy the rest of your week. Have a safe and fun weekend. Thank you for tuning in to another awesome episode of the Derek Diamond Experience. I am your host, Derek Diamond, and we'll see you guys back here next Thursday. Yeah.